0: Genesis chapter 2, um, I'm reading from verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon, it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold and the gold that the and the gold of that land is good bdellium and onyx stone are there the name of the second river is the Gihon it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush and the name of the third river is the Tigris which flows east of Assyria and the fourth river The Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it, to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, "You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of you eat of it, you shall surely die." Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his rib, ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib. That the Lord God had taken from the man he made, the man he made into a woman, and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is born of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed.
1: There's a beautiful closeness here, isn't there, in Genesis 2, an intimacy between God and humankind. And after skipping to the end last week in, in Revelation 21 and 22, now we know why. Because God created us to be in a relationship with him. We learnt last week that we should be his people and that he should be our God so that we as his image bearers uh, should live with him forever. That is the why behind the closeness here in Genesis 2 that we've now gone all the way back to today. And we have gone right the way back, as we see there in verse 4, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. The book of Genesis is a book of beginnings, Uh, and hence the name (laughs) once you break out of that overarching introduction that we looked at a couple of weeks back in in chapter 1 1 to 2 3 you then hit 10 sections of the book each uh, speaking of of some kind of beginning some genesis and each therefore marked at the start with those words there that we read in verse 4 these are the generations of such and such in our case today this first section zooms in on creation level things at the very beginning that the most primal of beginning stories this is we could say the story of this relationship between god and man and so it gives here in chapter two a, a retelling of of what we looked at in chapter 1 from a different perspective, I suppose. You could think of it, I think, as the, uh, as the first chapter we thought of uh, two weeks back was, was kind of like a satellite view, just looking down uh, across the whole thing from a big picture angle on everything. And, and now in chapter 2, it's like we get right down to see it again from, from a street-level kind of view. Here we are up close and personal with this very up-close-and-personal God as he creates a living creature. There in that close picture, we get a a sense as to the place of man in in the scheme of all things. There was no one to work the ground and, and then God created man out of the dust of the ground that he should then work. A humble beginning for humanity. It couldn't get more lowly than this could it we could not be more dependent on this god than this could we and yet nor could we be more close god formed us out of dirt and breathed life into us with his own breath and only therefore man became a living creature And yet with that uh, great purpose too, our place in all of this becomes even clearer as we read on and uh, open up God's blessings to man in verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and, and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil." and then uh, rivers and mineral resources verses 10 through 14 that next paragraph a beautiful place has been created for the newly created man and as we see once again in verse 15 a purpose for him there uh, also uh, verse 15 the lord god took the man and put him in the garden of eden to work it and keep it And then the blessing keeps growing as God grants virtually everything in this garden to the man in verses 16 and 17. And then uh, even after that, of course, the creation of a helper suitable, fitting for this man. From the man, God created woman and he gave her to him as well. Verse 22, the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is is bone of my bones and, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And in a beautiful purity and and, and innocence in verse 25 humanity has been created by God with with purpose with place and with blessings laced through there almost untold and all of it of course is towards what we were thinking about last week that we were created for relationship with God himself so this is the cosmic story, the, the beginning story of us and our purpose and, and the blessings God gave us as we began. And yet it's given to us in such a close-up and, and very personal kind of view. Uh, God fashioned one man out of dust and, and then made him alive and then made woman from him and and showered his blessings in the great providence that he had purpose to supply through his creation and as i say from revelation last week we know that all of that was towards an even more breathtaking end that we would be with this creator god and that god would dwell with man God has done all of this here in Genesis 2 because He wants to enjoy relationship with us and He wants us to enjoy relationship with Him. It's absolutely essential that we catch that beautiful truth from God's Word about humankind. Indeed, we come to God's Word to, to better understand ourselves, don't we, and to better understand God. And so. What better truth in here could we hope to find? That, that God has created us with such love and, and such purpose and, and such relationship in mind. To help us try to take hold of these truths, I suppose, I, I'd like us to think today about two concepts that are in the backstory of this beginning story here in Genesis 2. And the first concept is that of covenant Covenant. Uh, central to how God cultivates this relationship with the humanity he created is that he makes covenant with them. Uh, you may know that word already, you, you may never have heard of it, but it's the, it, it's the word behind the T word in our Old and New Testaments. Old covenant and new covenant, we could rather say. Uh, you may remember too that we did a series a while back now, uh, working through various covenants in scripture that God made with his people and there are a few. Covenant, it's another word for promise. It's a contract of sorts, I guess you could say. It's a binding agreement that God makes with his people to bring them into relationship with him. Uh, All of which might seem a bit random today, I suppose, because that word covenant is not in this text that we've just read. Uh, But later in scripture, in Hosea chapter 6, if you want to track it down later, uh, God seems to indicate that actually, yes, this here in Genesis 2 was a covenant relationship between himself and the very first man, Adam. In Hosea 6, God is speaking of Israel and Judah by that time. And and he says in Hosea 6, 7, but like Adam, Israel and Judah transgressed the covenant there they dealt faithlessly with me and admittedly that's not as long or as explicit as perhaps we'd like it to be to capture this here in Genesis 2 but on the other hand it pretty much does say exactly this point that yes Adam was in a covenant relationship with God in Genesis 2 and into Genesis 3. It doesn't come here with any uh, wording or elaborate ceremony or or ritual, uh, mind you, but then there's no such thing as ceremony yet at this point in time to, to mark a covenant with. There is no human context whatsoever apart from this one man whom God just created out of dirt. And... I guess, therefore, there's no you know, cultural kind of packaging that God could put around this to help Adam better grasp what was being promised here and, and nor should any really be needed in light of what just went down. Anyway, the concept of covenant will pop out, I'm pretty sure, if we just get to the heart of Genesis 2 and it's in verses 15 to 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying you may surely eat of every tree of the garden but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die that there is covenant even though the word isn't there or or the cultural packaging of, of later covenants in Scripture, nevertheless the basic fundamental elements of covenant are right there we've got two parties god and man a greater party and a lesser party without doubt and a relationship is being forged between them here a relationship is being built around blessing agreement and consequence the blessing comes first and we should be very careful to lock that in everything here was gifted by God first without Adam having done a thing. In fact, it's all been put in place for him and, and him for it. Adam was no such thing but for God who created life and all this blessing that he gave with it too, a garden and, and trees that are pleasant to see and, and good for food and, and waters and rivers to sustain that life. And, and so the first element of a covenant here is, is the blessing of life. And and God had to bring that into being without anything on the part of the other party in this covenant, the man he created and gave life to. And so I like to think of this as a covenant of life. It's a covenant of life and, and, and life not just in the sense, you know, of, of living and breathing kind of life, but, but in the sense of soul and, and identity and purpose and meaning and belonging and, of course, relationship too a living relationship with the living and almighty god god has blessed adam no question with life the second element of god's covenants come second and uh, it's something for the other party to agree to with god the greater party in all these things by way of a rule by way of a commandment, a law. Here that rule comes in verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. The first part of that agreement is, is actually an extension of the blessing from God, isn't it? God reiterates what he has already done for Adam. You may surely eat of, of, of every tree in the garden, he says. But Adam's part comes next. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. If you're anything like me, you might have wondered at times, you know, why why would God even put that tree in the middle of the garden if it was going to cause so much trouble? And spoiler alert, it does. This is why it was there. Because relationship requires fidelity. Faithfulness. And so the tool that God uses to build relationship with people, covenants, needs some point in them of, of agreement or law. And this, uh, therefore, is what law more broadly is good for, for creating relationship. If you think about it, in fact, uh, without some kind of agreement between two parties, there's no real relationship in place. But covenants are relational, that they're designed to be relational, to bring two parties together in relationship. And relationships require what? Obedience, loyalty, honour, respect, and ultimately, of course, love. All those things require some kind of law or or agreement in the middle some means by which we prove our fidelity to the other which is the second kind of concept woven in here in genesis 2 to go with covenant that i want us to think about today fidelity faithfulness of of god and man in this covenant relationship that god has set up and to have fidelity for, for true relationship well there's just no getting around it we need law which leads naturally to the last element of god's covenants here here in genesis 2 we can see that the consequence if if adam should break that law in verse 17 it says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die that sounds a bit harsh at first glance doesn't it uh, and mostly I think because we're probably already uh, racing off ahead thinking a bit simplistically about an apple as we always think it is but but the covenant of life isn't harsh at all it's actually beautiful if you read back through this chapter it is spectacularly generous in verse 16 it's still going in, in anyone's language it's, it's more than just fair and reasonable too it's it's actually beautiful and it's actually quite logical too, this consequence, because if the covenant God has made is all about the blessing of life that, that God so generously blessed man with, then for for the man to step outside that covenant would necessarily mean death. You see, the opposite of blessing is curse. And, and in this case, if the blessing was life, then, then for Adam to break his covenant relationship with God, it, it should mean it should mean that he forsakes life and is left with only the corresponding curse to that of of death. It's it's actually not rocket science when you give it enough thought. Uh, And those three verses there in the middle of our text, in verses 15 to 17, therefore, they weave these three elements of covenant together in a simple, logical order of of this covenant of life, as I think we could call it, the, the blessing, the agreement and the consequence. But you are already thinking ahead, I'm sure, about the crisis of fidelity that we all know is coming. And it does come right away in Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and then they they knew that they were naked. The man has transgressed the covenant as God later says in Hosea chapter 6. He has transgressed this covenant of life. He has sinned against God's one law put to him and that sin broke his relationship with God. As we see unfold if you read the rest of Genesis 3, verse 8, there uh, the man and his wife are now hiding from their God. Uh, verse 10, they are fearful of their God. Uh, their purity and their innocence has been lost, and they feel shame now in their created state and the man blames the that 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 flesh of his flesh and, and bone of his bones, verse twelve that that beautiful wife that God gave him. these first human beings have fallen into sin, and consequences therefore unfold: curse for the serpent, curse for the wife. Curse for the man. And why? Because infidelity has broken the covenant of life. And yet the consequence for the man and his wife is somehow more gracious than what it should be. The covenant was logical, wasn't it? It was very clear, so so clear that we, we marveled that the man could turn away from that covenant, from such a full sense of life and, and self and relationship and provision and everything else in this beautiful picture. We wonder, how, how could he break that simple and gracious covenant of life? And on account of the only one thing that God said could only lead to death but Adam chose death. Which is even harder for us to compute in light of what Adam seemingly didn't reach out and and take hold of. If if you drop down to chapter 3 and verse 22, then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the man didn't reach out and and take from that tree even though that tree seemingly was within the blessing he was given and given permission to eat from in verse 16 But, but, but instead he chose the one tree in this garden of death and yet God lets the man and his wife live he tenderly covers them in verse 21 to, to help them in their new fallen and, and shameful state. And he lets them become the father and mother, verse 20, of, of all the living humanity that would come. But a spiritual death has occurred without doubt. They are removed from that place of bliss where there was such close, intimate relationship with the living and almighty God because relationship requires fidelity and one simple law has tested the relationship and proved man unfaithful to god this isn't just a story about adam though of course this scripture sets up everything that follows in god's word Uh, the fundamental problem of of man's infidelity to God and, and our propensity to sin, and yet God's creational purpose of us to be in relationship with him. How can we reconcile the two things? That very tension runs right the way through scripture. A pattern is set down here that shapes everything to come. But God keeps pursuing us to resolve our fall he makes covenant with Noah he makes covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob he makes covenant with Israel through Moses and he makes covenant with David along the way as he pursues our creational purpose to be in relationship with him but for our sin that gets in the way So we can't let go of this idea of covenant as we work through this series, nor our lack of fidelity, because the sinfulness of Adam here in Genesis 2 and 3 is now true of you and I, and everyone else out there too. We must catch it right here at the start and we must understand its bearing on the rest of scriptures and we must understand and think through what we would miss if we, if we miss these two things woven in the subtext here. One, if we, if we miss the basic framework of covenant and fidelity here between God and man, uh, we would fail to understand why and, and the way that God pursues us how he brings about relationship with his people this is vital for us to understand if we want to be with our god he brings it about through covenant if we miss that point we would probably then start to take a very burdensome view of the law that god gives uh, we'd see god's law as nothing but you know rules for no reason uh, we'd fail to catch its beautiful purpose of of confirming and building our fidelity towards our God. That it tests the relationship as it should be tested. And so we'd probably then miss where we actually stand in all this. That that just as Adam, as God said in Hosea 6, we are all fallen too. And in our fallen nature, we are prone to be unfaithful to God who of us have not sinned against God nor though without this would we have a true sense of the imminent and and close and personal and loving God uh, who wants to be so close in relationship to the man whom he created We would slide then eventually into what's called moral therapeutic deism, so prominent today. This is the religion of the world today, number one. The idea floating around out there that, yeah, sure, God is real, but he's off in the distance somewhere and he doesn't really care. But when we catch these ideas here of of covenant and, and fidelity between God and man, we would find our way to conviction, towards obedience to God's covenant law. Just as Jesus said in John chapter 14, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If we get Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 right, we, we will understand law as a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing that cultivates our relationship with God and that exposes our infidelity towards him in our fallen state of sin and our need therefore of his grace yes only if we understand our propensity for sin will we understand God's grace and if we latch onto Genesis 2 and 3 though we'll be able to see God as a God of grace who who does continue to pursue relationship with unfaithful people Through a covenant of forgiveness that that will overturn all this curse. And by putting new hearts in his people, hearts of faith in his people. And in those things that he's doing, we will slowly come to desire this relationship with God that we were created for. Not just you know accept the theological premise of Christianity in our heads or something. No, no, we will want to be swept up into a genuine relationship with our Creator and Redeemer God. And he'll do that. He will do that for his people. And he will do that for his people in a way that rests on him and his fidelity towards us. It will be God who fulfills his creational purpose for man and spoiler alert if you haven't read the rest of the covenant story before but God has done and is doing everything to fulfill all his covenants that he made with man this precious relationship that we're talking about here between God and man has has now been cemented forever for all who he gives hearts to believe in his word and it's been cemented through the perfect fidelity of Jesus Christ, who came down to take away our sin and said in Luke 22, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We'll celebrate that together in a moment, as always. Uh, But perhaps for now, we have enough to try to process for this week. And we best pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, as always. Uh, And we have so much to get to now in this series as we try to catch and and wrap our heads around and our hearts around your counsel to us in your word. But but for today, Father, we thank you for what we see here in Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, that you created us for blessing and joy, uh, that you created us in your gracious love and to enjoy your gracious love in relationship with you but that we were unfaithful and that we are unfaithful to this day we pray father that you would please renew our hearts to be faithful and to be more trusting in you. We pray for you to continue to restore our relationship with you and renew us and and lead us into faithful and obedient lives under Jesus, your Son and our Lord. And in his name we pray this.
0: Amen.